Oh, you know what movie we forgot about that we should have done? What? Pig. Mm. Yeah, we should have. God. Hold on. I'm sick of Nicolas Cage, though, so. Listen, he recently right. came out You're as wrong. goth, so I'm here to support him again. In what world was anyone shocked by this? His son is a metalhead, and the man went bankrupt buying fucking dinosaur bones and haunted mansions. Yeah, no, he's definitely, but I think, but he recently came out. He's just like, uh, he did an interview. And I know, I love that he came out as goth. Yeah, yeah, he, he he's doing a movie now called, like, Renfield, where he plays Dracula, and, um... He was talking about in real life. I did know that. He lives he lives in Las Vegas and his he has a pet crow that insults him in real life. Yeah. Called yeah, like Hoogan. Uh who lives in a geodesic dome. And then yeah, he, he came out and he and he said something yeah. like Yeah, like I really appreciate like the Edgar Allan Poe-ness of of it all. It's all very I am goth, I think is the word, is it, like the quote. It's like, I am goth. I am a goth. And I was like, yeah. Yeah. He, good on you. He also has a pyramid-shaped, like, tomb yeah, he for does. himself in New Orleans. I love that for him. My God. That's the weirdest burial that's going to, sorry, it's not even the weirdest burial in New Orleans, I promise. No, no, it's definitely not. But no. I do love that for him. Yeah. I don't love that you went bankrupt buying dinosaur bones i That's like that weird. i like that for him i like the concept for him but i don't like the fact that he's basically taking these like academic historical anthropological <laughs> things that are like needed oh, yeah. for the world to like understand our history and just coveting them away in one of his weird haunted mansions that he owns i think they all got stone. repossessed i think i think that it was they illegal. definitely did yeah it was illegal for him to own them so they got repossessed well, he also just had to sell a bunch of his shit because he literally went bankrupt buying these fucking, like, Tyrannosaurus <laughs> Rex skulls and, like, pterodactyl eggs. Fucking total weirdo. Oh, I love it. I love it. Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my chocolate factory. And I should warn you that one of us always tells the truth and one of us always lies. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Hello, and welcome to Fans Labyrinth, the podcast where we talk about your favorite indie movies and genre flicks. My name is Des, and these are my co-hosts, Lydia and Joseph. Hello. Hello. I am Joseph. So exciting. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And I am Lydia. Yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's easier with the... the... When it's like a, a male versus a female name, because I can easily guess which one of us is which. <laughs> yeah, we probably should have done which one is which on the last one. Hmm. My name is Decimus. I am... You make a good point. I'm a male. I uh, I am wearing all black, and I wear glasses. This is, that that's a lot of That is how you will... I live uh, somewhere in the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> My father is a mummy. My mother is a dinosaur. Nicholas Cage I, is my I thought your mother smelt of elderberries. Your father was a hamster. No, that's that's my stepmother. We don't talk about her. We just finished watching a movie uh, <laughs> that we're going to yeah. do our best to not talk about. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be a highly avoidant episode. Yeah, one of those. <laughs> when was the last one we did of those? 
God, we've done like every third yeah. one. <laughs> it's, it's I feel fucking constant. I feel like we we tried to avoid talking about that Saw movie most recently. Spiral. Oh God, that one sucked. That one was. Balls. Oh, that was worse than yeah. this for sure. I will fully agree with that. Yeah. I will fully agree with that. Yeah. Although it was pretty, it was pretty cool seeing. It wasn't Chris Rock. It was. It was Chris Rock. Yeah. Yeah, it was Chris Rock. It was. Chris it was Rock. pretty yeah. interesting seeing Chris Rock as a detective, though. That was pretty funny, because uh, he played the whole thing like an SNL skit. <laughs> <laughs> somehow the acting was like objectively worse than the acting in this clearly shittier movie yeah yeah so like which i don't understand like oh my god anyway we can't yeah. i can't start yeah let's not about start with the movie right off the jump <laughs> um so what have you guys been watching if no one wants to start us off i can absolutely start so us. i do have oh you got it uh yeah i do have a horror movie that was pretty good that i watched recently actually Ooh. Uh, and that was Weirdly related to last episode when I talked about the house. This one is called His House. Oh. So oh. not to be confused. Wait, is this the one about the like Sudanese like immigrants or something? That is right. Yes. Ha It's a BBC production. It is about two refugees from a war-torn African country. And... I don't think it's named in the movie, but you might be right that that's, it's like Sudanese or something. Yeah, it might just be like one of the actors is Sudanese or something. I don't know where I got that from, but I yeah. feel like some for some reason I thought that was it. Yeah, and so they're, they're sort of getting housing in, um, like refugee housing in, not London, but like somewhere in Britain. And, um, Matt Smith is their sort of helper who's helping them get settled. And... Um, what they find out is that the house that they're given is actually like bigger than the usual ones, but it's a little more run down and spooky. And so they get in there and uh, it seems as though a witch from their home country has followed them. Oh, cool. And so they de- they're dealing with supernatural shit and the witch's main power is summoning the ghosts of their past to haunt them. And it is really coolly done. Even though it's a budget movie, it's really well done. Because what the ghosts are really, right? It's like Sixth Sense style where they're kind of like, you see how they've died. But basically, they're just real people who are like in the rooms with them and just like freaking them out. Each of them, the husband and wife, are each dealing with the situation in different ways. The husband really wants to integrate into English society and move on with his life and do these things. But she is like, we have fucked up. Like, this witch is after us. Like, we are cursed. And we need to go back and deal with it because you find out that their daughter died on the way mm. to, like, uh, on the waters. And there's some really epic twists in it. The atmosphere is incredible. And the supernatural elements are ones you've never seen before because it is from a totally different culture. And so the way that witchcraft and curses are represented is totally unique and totally new his house i loved it it was so good that sounds fucking awesome you know what you might if you liked his house what you might like have you seen under the shadow no i've never heard of that one. Oh, joseph it's an iranian horror movie supernatural horror movie okay. and it's about like a mother and daughter in war-torn iran and it takes like a spiritual sort of like haunting kind of lean on how it's explaining the way war and terrorism is impacting this family and this like culture. And it's very like specifically Iranian. 
It's really well done. Yeah, I was going to say that sounds really cool. That, that's a that's a movie. That's a horror movie I recommend to people who are either super into like indie or art movies who who like want to touch a horror movie or people who are into horror movies but want something that throws a curveball at them because it really does approach a lot of the same kind of milestones that you would expect from a horror movie but with so many different like in, in such a different style i don't want to say too much yeah. about it because even then i know i was trying to be like really succinct yeah. in my description on what it's yeah. about for the same reason. i'm not gonna say anything plot wise but i will say like even its approach to the supernatural is from the culture that is being represented like it's so cool man that's a good one Fuck, we should watch that with on the yeah, podcast. I feel like <laughs> Oh, we could well, we totally you've could. Seen it. Yeah, but I haven't seen it since it premiered at uh the Toronto After Dark Film Festival. Likewise. That was its Canadian premiere. Likewise, I haven't seen it since. Wait, you mm. saw it at Tadif too? Uh no, but I saw it the same that same year. Oh, okay. I, I don't I go like, places. We were both at, Tadif <laughs> at the same time. And I didn't know. <clears throat> no, I don't go places. I sit in my basement. Fair <laughs> Did I tell you, I'm, this is so unrelated to what we were talking about, I'm so sorry, um, you can cut this. Did I tell you I was planning on getting um, a projector for my apartment to host movies? Yo, that is going to be nice. Yeah, because I, I have 10 foot ceilings, so I have these huge fucking walls in my apartment. We could apartment. all lay down on the floor and look up. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay, so slumber parties for real at Lydia's. We shouldn't <laughs> cut this, this is good content. I No, honestly, that's so fucking tight. I love that. Yeah, I feel like it'll be really Dream fun. Dream apartment time. Just have like a few beers, mm. get some like fucking poutine or oh, something. Yeah. Get some pillows. Watch movies on my ceiling. Oh my oh, yeah. god. I'm excited. Blow up the air bed. <laughs> That's what what have you watched recently? Um okay, so I've watched a wide range of genres, all of them through the lens of of sci fi. Okay. I have watched roughly three se- <laughs> What does that mean? I've watched <laughs> roughly three seasons of uh, Star Trek TNG, The Next Generation. Okay. Sure. And wow! Just, like, going back and watching, like, it's on Netflix now. Uh, I don't know how long it's been there, but mm-hmm. um, going back and watching those episodes, they've done some remastering, but there's been a few points where I, like, I catch myself and I'm, th- and I'm thinking to myself, like, man, TV was, this was TV 20 years ago, and then I'm like, this wasn't TV 20 years ago. Star Trek Enterprise was 20 years ago. This is... Mm-hmm. almost 40 years ago, 40 years ago. <laughs> and I'm, I'm watching these episodes specifically seasons uh four five and six are the ones that i just no wait no three four and five yeah three four and five and they managed to cover so much ground without ever seeming like they're picking a side when they talk about like political things or humanitarian issues or even like earth history they managed to like to like for example there was this story that they told um in one of the episodes i just watched where there was a, an admiral uh, in starfleet who had gone rogue and was trying to set it up in such a way so that uh, a federation ship would start supplying enemies of the federation with weapons based on a misunderstanding mm-hmm. he was trying to manufacture and so picard had to like navigate um i could actually be butchering this because i watched so many episodes in the last couple days but Picard had to navigate this, and he was trying to call upon the support of other Federation ships. And the names of them were like, I, I forgot all the names, but one of them was uh, Tiananmen. And this episode had aired two years after the Tiananmen Square massacre. And like, even then, the show was like, the show had, hmm. had, had decided that in the future, humanity would have learned from a mistake like that. 
and that we would have gotten better and that there's like a future where like that isn't a bad th- like name to recall anymore and this was f- almost for real bummer that that's not true eh? well it, it is a huge bummer but but also like watching tv that is willing to be political in a controversial sense uh, at the time well sorry it wouldn't have been controversial but it would have been yeah are you sure Tiananmen Square had happened it had. by that point? I thought Tiananmen Square was like 1992. No, Tiananmen Square was 1987, I think. And this episode okay. aired in 89. Okay. I, at least I'm pretty sure that's the timeline. I looked it up during because I was like, I was like, hold on. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was uh, it was so bold of the show to like be willing to take such a hard line stance on something that was like not only like sensitive uh subject at the time and probably like highly inflammatory and like censored but like in such a way where it actually framed it in the inverse where it's like we can actually maybe still learn from atrocities and that was just like an episode where people with funny like face colorings as like aliens were just having like border skirmishes it was so um i don't know there's so many episodes so even crazier <clears throat> Tiananmen mm-hmm. Square also happened in 89 oh sorry so yeah. if that episode aired in 89 they did it the same year it yeah. happened which would probably mean if it's airing that it was probably filmed before it happened like I it really feels like a thing where they they filmed it before it happened that's just my Let impression me... because Tiananmen Square was just a beautiful area of like Beijing. that's where the Forbidden Palace is let me right? let me make like, sure I got this right Oh, no, sorry, I'm wrong. The episode that featured the USS Tiananmen, it aired in 1991. So, okay, so it came so two, years two years after ahead. the I massacre. Um, gotcha. And that's just one episode. Um, one, one of the other ones I watched was like this really, really touching episode about like assisted dying. And like 1991, right. they were doing all these, like I, I, I shouldn't be surprising because I've seen this before, but re-watching it now mm-hmm. when people are like, having modern takes on these very complex issues and trying to make it simple uh, the show managed to tell stories about these things without taking a side and without painting anyone as a villain per se it was just such good television yeah i mean i always i mean tng is one of my favorite series of television of all time mm-hmm. and i think the simplest way of doing that is that most of the stories are kind of philosophical ethical thought mm-hmm. experiments put into one and I have debates with my friends all the time. I do recognize lots and lots of problems, like broad scale problems with Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I'll say those in a second. But like what I enjoy about it is the, the that sort of setup and yeah. the setup that the characters, there is interpersonal drama and stuff like that sometimes. But for the most part, it's about people who are on a crew together and they already are responsible, good people to one another. Yeah. Like it isn't really about critiquing who they are yeah. per se and they're dedicated to cooperation if i'm a good person how do i deal with difficult situations mm-hmm. that i don't know the answer to yeah that is for most of my life that's what i felt for myself is the most useful i often don't feel like i'm in situations where things are so radically like bad or or like i have to take massive action or something mm-hmm. um it's more about i'm entering a complicated situation in which i don't know what the right thing to do is yeah and i think that's that's always where TNG seems to shine is like the episodes where it seems like there's two people having a conversation, usually like two writers, like trying to dissect a bigger problem from the, this lens of like, you have a group of people committed to cooperating and, you know, making compromise so that, you know, you don't interfere with people's culture, but also you, you respect it and 
you know, generate, like, create a space for them to continue having it. So much of good TNG hits on that. There's definitely a lot of, like, slip-ups and, like, less delicate episodes. I'm not going to be, like, just another white guy saying, like, TNG's perfect television. But, yeah, it's just, it strikes me as so... It's one of those things where, like, it's kind of a it's kind of a trope to say, like, it's more relevant now than ever before. But in truth, nothing has ever changed. Nothing's gotten better. So, like, of course, these issues, seeing them through a 40-year scope is going to be like, wow. Because the, 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 the discussion hasn't progressed past there um, in a lot of cases. Um, and I think that's why I think TNG has been, yeah, it's been really keeping me company these last little while. Well, it is interesting to compare Discovery, the newest one, to TNG, just in terms of what is considered political now in these things. And I think this is the, on the broadest scale, like the big, big stuff. Of course, there's individual episodes that have problems or whatever. But I, but as a fundamental idea of the TV show, Discovery is much more interested in the internal politics of the Federation itself. And the government you're in within itself has problems. What mm-hmm. can you do? Right? And throughout all of star trek the federation probably had problems but it's always kind of hidden those problems away it's kept them from it's kept them like like from being critiqued too much mm-hmm. but this is like some of my friends who've argued about this it's like and this is i think a problem with the show is it very much takes like even though it's there's a moneyless society it's quote-unquote communism or whatever these are military vessels yep. going to other planets and going to other things and trying to recruit them into their empire essentially is the empire very nice to everyone yes and is it trying to be good yes but it's like you're kind of like you're not given that much help or aid if you don't join the federation your culture kind of needs to be enwrapped in order to catch up with the rest of sort of the galaxy and so you're in a way becoming part of this this one hegemonist kind of thing even though the hegemony has it's it's like ours right it's like it has freedom of religion it has these things but it's all under one government and so that's the that's the critique of it overall yeah. it, it it doesn't notice that and politics today is very much about this that there's a lot of internal tensions mm-hmm. in first world countries and yeah it's not interested in discussing those issues most of the time until most people argue um, deep space nine which starts really getting into those issues weirdly i don't like deep space nine as much I, I find the internal bickering in it too much. I, I really love DS9 for where it gets, but it does take a while to get there, is what I'll yeah, say. I definitely like the later seasons more, <clears throat> yeah. but even there. I think it's it's partly the crew in that one. I think that's the biggest thing. I, I'm not in love with most of the crew in that one in a way where Voyager and TNG, I, I love like almost everyone. Yeah, both DS9 crews. has that. DS9 like has a good lead. Like Cisco himself is like probably one of the better characters in all of star trek being like a a single father who is also like an authority person who also has like been thrust into a situation that is basically unnavigable like it's basically impossible for him to navigate it delicately while also being like a good father and a good leader and and usually when it shot when like ds9 i feel shines when it's when it sticks to his character pretty closely and less so when it branches out into the cast i I think you're right i think the cast for ds9 is one of the the hang-ups i'm not sure what it is yeah they just don't have that found family-ish feeling as much yeah um they don't they don't have camaraderie in the same way that i i i really enjoy i think with ds9 um it often falls into the trap that all of the cast feel like staff 
and not like friends and with yes, with voyager exactly. they don't have a choice but to be friends with tng they just all have really good chemistry because the person who's in charge is the most charismatic and welcoming figure possible yeah yeah man i could go endlessly yeah, we'll probably star still trek. be talking about yeah star trek <laughs> uh random episodes too so we don't say everything we want to say yeah. about it all in one episode but that's 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 what I've been on. But yeah, though. that's really cool that you've been rewatching it. That it's funny too. This weird thing where it's it's one of the shows I watched with my my only boyfriend ever, mm. and so it's Me. like been weirdly. Whenever I think of rewatching it, I always think of that. Like now it's a relationship show, and I'm like, that's stupid. Because <laughs> I, I, I was watching it way before I met him. Like it has nothing to do with that. But it's you got dissociations with it. A large part of our relationship spent watching it. I think we come to recognize. Well, it's like, it's like everyone's got, like, a song that reminds them of a person kind of thing. Or, like, a mm-hmm. time or a place. I get that. I'm actually, like, super happy about this. So I've been I've been with my partner for uh, 13 years. I've been watching Star Trek since before I met them. And I've always kind of been like, hey, like, maybe we should, you know, maybe I think you'd like Star Trek. You should check it out. And they've always been like, I don't know. It's kind of hammy. It's kind of clumsy. And, uh, you know, I'm not a big sci-fi person. And I was like, me neither check out tng with me and last night Honestly. uh last night uh we we were in bed we had just finished season four of tng uh lights are off we've said good night you know we're in that weird part where we're about to we're about to fall asleep and we're not talking my partner turns and says i like star trek now <laughs> and for me i don't know that was like a that was a big that was a big big, big happy happy moment for me I've been barking at that tree for so long, uh, trying to like, you know, cur- curate the right episodes and the right cast and figure out what season of which series is best to introduce them. And last night, yeah, just at, at like at like three in the morning, <laughs> they turned to me and said, I like Star Trek now. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a win. <laughs> oh, um sorry <laughs> yeah I, I i do love your your line there though of like not a big uh, sci-fi person i'm still gonna go with the like it's like <laughs> the only genre you talk about uh, that's because no one cares about fantasy and there's not a lot of good fantasy tv that's true yeah but like 90 percent of what you watch at least for the podcast is fucking sci-fi <laughs> i know because sci-fi has a way better representation in movies and tv right, way you better say you're and, not and a big you, you sci-fi like horror, guy so. when you watch yeah. every fucking sci-fi well, in my defense, Lydia, last podcast, I watched three Dungeons and Dragons movies in a row. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was a choice. <laughs> as, was is my, as is my choice. choice to not identify as a sci-fi person. <laughs> well, if you had to, I guess it's horror for you, right, Lydia? That was like your most identified genre. I was going to I was going to say thrillers, but That's... actually, yeah, horror is definitely the one. Um, I mean, I think that's what people identify me with the most often, mm. because I watch more horror movies than most people, but I also just watch more movies than most people. Like, I do love horror. I love a lot of horror, like, subgenres and stuff, but I also have, like, a deep love for 80s and 90s movies. Mm. Like, I watch... I've watched honest, almost more sci-fi than you have, Joseph. <laughs> We've taken those, like, movie mm. quizzes, and I get higher scores than you do. On most of them. I also love musicals. Nobody ever asks me about that. But I do watch a lot of horror. I love thrillers, too. I do love thrillers. And there's a 
big cross section between thriller and horror. Mm. Mm-hmm. How how do you, uh, Lydia? I've always actually been curious about this. How would you rank the three Hannibal Lecter movies? Okay, because like L- those like, ones. You mean so, like Silence um, of the Lambs, Red Dragon, and Hannibal Rising, or are we including Manhunter in here? Like, oh, I was just thinking the Hannibal, Hannibal TV show. Just like uh, the movie Hannibal by Ridley Scott. I think it's Ridley Scott. Oh, like, okay, so you're talking... Yeah, like, so Science of the Lambs, Hannibal, and Red Dragon? Yeah, 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 those three. Those three. Hannibal sucked, Yeah. <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> Hannibal sucked. Uh, Hannibal Rising sucked harder. I would probably go Silence of the Lambs, Red Dragon, Hannibal, mm. Hannibal Rising. Yeah, that seems right. Yeah. I was going to say... If we're I, including I, Manhunter, I feel like Manhunter hovers around the same score as Hannibal. Hmm. I was gonna say I I um I I'm someone who flips I sometimes I sometimes put Red Dragon at the top, but it's very not always. I like Edward Norton Red really Dragon. sells it. Edward Norton's good. I like. Is it Rafe Fines that's in that one? Ralph Ralph Fines. It's Rafe. It's pronounced Rafe. Really? Yeah, I know. It's spelled that's Ralph. That's so cool. It's spelled no. It's so fucking pretentious. It's so pretentious. What if that's his like, culture or something, dude? It's not. He's English. Oh, really? It's Ralph. Yes. Aww. He's just a fucking asshole. I thought, for some reason, I thought he was like some kind of weird Eastern European subset. I mean, maybe that's his heritage and maybe it is Rafe, but it's literally spelled R-A-L-P-H. So I have a very difficult time believing that that's like the traditional Hungarian spelling or whatever the fuck of Rafe. You're right. It's Rafe. What the fuck? Yeah. But it's spelt like the absolute Anglo way. Ridiculous. Wow. But he is good in it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's a good actor. I just think his he's name great. is yeah. like super fucking pretentious. But maybe I'm an asshole and like that is the correct way to pronounce it. I just think that that's probably horseshit. You need to apologize to every Ralph you've ever met. It's always all been pronounced Rafe. It's always <laughs> been that way. It's a lot cooler of a name than Ralph. I'll give him that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I like Edward Norton. I like, I I just think after seeing the Hannibal television show and like Hugh Dancy's portrayal of Will Graham, the same character that Edward Norton plays, it's like Mm -hmm. very clear that they didn't care that much about the characterization of Will Graham from the books Mm -hmm. in Red Dragon. Yeah, they were trying to make like a hard-boiled detective kind of yeah uh, and i i would say the same about manhunter which is the original version of red dragon that came out in like 1989 or something with william peterson uh he also was not a great will graham no no that movie is brian cox is great in that one but he's he's just pretty consistent in general yeah and like william peterson's good in it like he's not bad Mm -hmm. he's a fine actor yeah hannibal sucked Julianne Moore is, like, not a great actor. <laughs> I know it's super mean, but, like, she's not that good. No, that, um, that whole movie is, it stinks. Like, the whole scene with the Especially when you're, you're coming off, like, a, you're coming off a Jodie Foster Clarice, and you're giving us Julianne Moore, one of, like, the most wooden actresses yeah. I've seen outside of, like, Nicole Kidman. Hollywood's like, first ugh. synthetic actress. Oof. Um, yeah. Yeah, Hannibal's rough. Like, you can't follow up Jodie Foster and Edward Norton and Rafe finds with yeah with Julian Moore. Doesn't it annoy you now that you know that? Like, isn't that irksome for some reason? It. I feel like I feel like it has less syllables, but is somehow more mouthy to say. 
Yeah, I agree <laughs> I with that. I feel like I'm I inconvenienced by it. I know. It bothers me. I have no issue with his last name being pronounced Fines and not Fiennes, even though it looks like Fiennes, because last names are weird. Last names are always like that. <laughs> you cannot spell your first name like Ralph and pronounce it just the most out-of-pocket way you could possibly imagine. Yeah. Fucking ridiculous. I'm trying, to get into, I'm trying to dig into the etymology of that as we speak. I guarantee you he's just an asshole. I'm going to be so wrong and I'm going to be like super offensive to like anybody with a traditional Eastern European name that's spelt like Ralph, but it's just ridiculous. Spell it any other way. There's no way that that is like the appropriate spelling for a name pronounced Rafe. It doesn't make any sense. Oh, I'm mad about it. As I Um, sit here with the name Lydia. (laughs) Oh, weird. Yeah. Apparently that's just like a British English thing sometimes. To pronounce it Rafe? Fuck off. Yeah. This is old money, like, fucking privileged white people <laughs> bullshit. Absolutely yeah. not. Oh, no. we've, yeah, we've gone way off this the is, rails. This is, like, Benedict Cumberbatch level bullshittery. He's probably got family with, like, plantation rights in the Bahamas like Cumberbatch does. Wanna, That's where he made his money, a... just so you know. Benedict Cumberbatch <laughs> is family. We're slave owners in the Caribbean. I want to know. They made what... all their money there. I want to know what Bendy Dick, uh, how he pronounces his name. <laughs> I would, I would imagine it's Benedict Cumber. I, I, that's one I do think is just pronounced how it's spelled. Mm, I don't know. Only oh, one I'm way to so find mad out. about this. It's an English thing. Fuck right, off. fuck all the way off. It's Ralph. You're an asshole. Uh, it's one that Lydia and I watched. It was not we watched first episode together and then watched it all separately, mm-hmm. uh, marathon through. The Sex Lives of College Girls. And it was good. It was a really... It's very good. It's, it's a funny show because it's like... It's it's very watchable. Very bingeable. I don't know what to say about it except that it's exactly... It does its premise exactly right. And, and like it is basically, exactly what you expect it to be. It's basically the show Girls if it, was insu- if it wasn't insufferable. It wasn't insufferable. Yeah. Because yeah, Girls I is... It, so. Oh, God. It's awful. Oh, God, I hated that show. I hate Lena Dunham. I just, I know it's supposed to be like girls powering up other girls and shit, but fuck, I hate Lena Dunham. She sucks. (laughs) And that whole show is just about like whiny, wealthy fucking privilege where they're all like artificially poor because they want to live bohemian lifestyles and all Mm. that horse shit. And they're just like mean and cruel to each other and they manipulate and use each other under the guise of like girlfriend best friends and shit and like they just they're not funny they all suck they're the worst version of what the sex in the city characters are and none of them are that great either to be totally honest wait like, is, they're is all lena, not awesome people is lena had he's like playing a college age no lena dunham lena dunham oh i was i don't know why i was thinking uh i think i don't know why i was thinking the other one no, not Cersei Lannister. I'm just saying she, she would be way more entertaining than than the other one. <laughs> no, girls, girls was a HBO show that came out like maybe a decade ago, and it had Adam Adam Driver in it actually uh, before yeah, he yeah. got huge. I liked I liked that show. Oh, I it was weird. Hated girls. I hated girls. He was pretty funny in it, but I just thought they were all the most insufferable version of like shitty white people in New York. They definitely were that. Yeah. And it wasn't even in, like, an ironic, like, satire, we're making fun of these people. Like, it seemed like you were supposed to root for them, even though they were 
treating each other like shit. Mm-hmm. But the Sex Lives of College Girls is a new HBO show, and it is truly the same premise as Sex in the City and Girls, except they're on a college campus and live in dorms. Mm-hmm. But it's actually funny, and the characters are genuinely very likable. So that's the thing. It's it's really it's not in the vein. This is like kind of rare for for HBO. It's not in the vein of like a drama. It is much more in the reign of like a uh, not warm heart isn't the right thing, but like a comedy that has that kind of like character building element where the characters are really going on a journey while a lot of funny stuff is happening. Um, and there's a lot of serious issues tackled, but in a really, I don't know, it, it, it they're tackled in a way that feels, I'd say the one critique I have of the show is like some of the characters feel a little bit off. Like Nico, I think is weirdly, even though he's one of the most developed characters, he's weirdly forgiven quickly for like some of the stuff he does, which I find a bit weird. Cause he try like he makes up for it in a certain way, but he's also like just clearly an asshole. So I don't know. Um, but that's sort of but I mean, real yeah, to life as well. They're like 18, right? Like I was way more forgiving of like shitty men when I was 18, 19. Obviously yeah. Joseph knows my relationship history. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm still yeah, so, too forgiving of mediocre white men. Let's be real. Yeah, I, I I find it, I just find it interesting in the show, like how it juxtaposes his character and like the forgiveness he's given to, which I think is right, but also there's just something strange about it. It's like, I think it's right that his character can be forgiven and redeemable, but there's other characters who are like act like sexual predators or doing like really bad things in the show, and they're like really hit on and like not hit on. What's it called like kicked out of the show or like. Uh, given a lot of trouble but it's weird that the different types of trouble they're given or like the discussion for example like one of the characters is in a relationship with with a soccer coach and he's just punished but and then kicked off the show and 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 is like the reason for what happened with him is like never discussed again in the rest of the season and it's like okay like i mean okay but i don't think it necessarily would be that's kind of how it is on like um those like high-end private colleges and stuff that's kind of what happens yeah. when there's like just yeah just from a sexual assault allegations I find, yeah i find things just kind of i mean they're also half hour episodes yeah the, the the other characters are the roommates are like oh no he was he was a sexual predator for you you're you're not to blame for this like he's the older person and, and has the power dynamic and that's it they just say that she's like yeah that's probably true but she never, it never felt that way when you're watching the relationship between him and her. But that's usually how it is. Yeah. Like, that's I'm usually saying, how like it they, is. They it also didn't... touch on the fact that he had done this before at previous colleges. Yeah. That's the thing, yeah. So, right? I don't so know. Like, I, just, I just, for me, it felt like they leave, they they don't they also, fully conclude like, things. They do show you him, like, manipulating her, like, pretending he's going to leave his wife and... You know, yeah. manipulating her to like abandon her friends, trying that's to true. isolate her from other members of the team, and that, and that, yeah, and that in a way is the more realistic. That that's it, even more than a drama. Drama, like parts like that, are actually like almost more real to life. Like dramas often heighten things to an um, almost absurd degree, to, for for the impact of the twist moments. Here, it isn't so much about the twists, but about the almost the reality of things that are sort of much more calm on the surface, um, but shitty. Like, a lot of people just being shitty to one another. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think the show is perfect by any means, but I do think it's, like, the characters are very likable and, like, very charming. Yes. 
it's very funny. Like there were some mm-hmm. like decently laugh out loud moments. I I thought in most episodes, um, and even the secondary characters are pretty well developed, which is impressive in a thirty minute show. Yeah, I think it's it's pretty good. It's worth watching if you want something sort of like light and fun, but grounded and real world yeah, experience. Like I think the biggest thing for me is just how how bingeable it oh, is. Like yeah. the second I watch the first episode, I'm like, oh yeah. Like, I can just watch all of this really quickly. It was just so enjoyable. Yeah, 100%. Very nice for something light and airy and funny and real I mean, feeling. Yeah, I'm not sure all the issues in it are light and airy, but No, it but is they're very not. Vengeable. But the way that they tackle them is, like, humorous in a very, like, real way, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, the kind of awkward jokes you make when you're uncomfortable in a situation and trying to like navigate it as a young person. And then the way it's resolved up, like, I just liked it. I just found it very like charming. Okay. Weird silence. So I'm just going to go, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go with another I haven't one. I have seen it. So I don't have much okay. to say. <laughs> I look, I sat through you guys discussing fucking star Trek for 15 minutes. I think you'd really like star Trek. I've seen it. I just don't have a lot to say about it. Anyway. Perfect time for a rewatch. Uh, okay. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I watched... Um, oh, God. I watched so much crap. Fuck. <laughs> I'm trying to think of something that's like not totally intolerable to talk about. Uh, I have been binging Euphoria. I finally got past whatever weird mental block I had with watching these like shitty melodramatic teenagers on a HBO show. And I was right. It's very like skins. I would say it's like, you know, maybe a little bit darker, but euphoria. Skins? My God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a few episodes Literally here and there of skins. skins. is like close to death or dies. <laughs> yeah. But skins like is very much, like it's it's a teen drama but it's a lot of it is played for like british humor like mm. there's that specific type of british humor like it's dark I'm but it saying, never like, goes like train spotting dark pretty fucking dark is all i'm it saying is. like it is it, skins really tackles like every serious teenage issue and gives them like the worst like versions of each like people are literally dying from every single thing that they're doing in skins yeah nobody's died yet um but it's it's <laughs> i would say overall like Skins has more lighthearted moments than mm. Euphoria does. Euphoria is very much like a strict drama, whereas mm. Skins right. was dramatic, but really pl- a lot of it was played for like that sort of dark comedy British humor. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, it's, I would say like a mix between like Skins and it's got big like 90s club kid energy. So it's somewhere between like skins and train spotting and like the mm-hmm. m- movie Go, if you've ever seen that. Or even like uh, Monster or Party Monster with Macaulay Culkin. It's got that kind of energy. But yeah, I mean, it's just about a bunch of like shitty, semi privileged kids out in the suburbs who like do way too many drugs and fuck up their life <laughs> and have like weird melodramatic problems that are insane. In comparison to what most teenagers deal with. And some of it is like true to life. Like kids struggling with like drug addiction. And like transitioning. And their sexuality. And like some like that kind of stuff. But then there's other things like crazy blackmail plots. And like mm. a dad who is like 
married and has two kids and is like the you know pillar of this community but also having like sexually like or like sexuality ambiguous sex with like jailbait and borderline minors and then recording it without their permission and keeping his weird porn collection in the house yeah fun rich people things right and then like overdoses and like raids on weirdly like one of the most like kind and likable characters is like the main drug dealer in this suburb very strange but he's very sweet and you have like the boyfriend that's a like abusive and violent with the girlfriend but then the girlfriend is also going around and cheating on him and like calling his mom a cunt every episode and you're just like i don't who am i rooting for in this happening everyone's going to school in like rave clothes and like pleather there's this one 16 year old like chubby girl who has self-esteem issues and starts camming on Pornhub to like deal with it I'm like what is happening in this show who is this marketed towards that these are their like relatable issues it's Mm -hmm. crazy because it's like marketed like HBO's version of the OC and I'm like HBO was like at least meant in the beginning to be sort of relatable to teenagers who's relating to this I had a pretty fucked up teen and early 20s experience and even I'm like okay I I have done drugs, many of them. This is still very over the top. Like, mm-hmm. the high school I went to, people were, like, selling molly and shit in the fucking hallways. And even I'm like, this is a lot. This is, feels like a bridge too far. But Zendaya's great in it. Uh, the guy who's in the kissing booth who also played a kind of abusive boyfriend is in this playing an abusive boyfriend. So that feels on brand. Sydney Sweeney's pretty great in it. She's she's kind of like the sweet, semi-ditzy girl who just really wants to be loved. She's mm-hmm. good. It's like, it's overall pretty good. It's just like super wild. Have you gotten to the, the next season yet? I wonder what the five, like, I'm very curious how the five-year gap like is handled in. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't jumped into season two yet. I'm mm-hmm. literally just at the end of season one. I haven't quite finished it. I was watching it mm-hmm. in between the break, our recording break. So I'm almost there. Yeah, I mean, like, it's weird. The characters, most of the characters, even the ones that are insufferable and you kind of hate, it's like you love to hate them. So most of them are engaging and it's keeping my attention. I want to keep watching it. But I'm just like, who is this for? It's very popular. So it feels very now, but in a lot of ways, like the aesthetics also feel very like late 90s, early 2000s, which I think is what is capturing my attention. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense. Like, it's supposed to be, like, Gen Zers, and they're all, you know, rehashing the Y2K fashion style. So it kind of makes sense that it feels relatable. But it's just, yeah, it's super weird. I don't understand how any of, like, there isn't a single fucking teacher that you see in a regular basis in this high school. I don't understand how any of these kids aren't getting dress coded coming in in, like, fucking bras and corsets and, like, pleather miniskirts <laughs> and shit. I'm starting I'm like, to wonder who this show is for now. It's, it. Yeah, and it's this is supposed to be like a suburb. This is not like a city, like a you know fucking New York City public school. This is like a suburb in like Wisconsin, California. (laughs) Like fucking, I don't who in what world, even at a public school, are you letting a girl walk in in like a leather mini skirt? And like a body harness. Yeah. 
Well, I think it's just and you're part not of the going. That, like, you got you got to go. You got to go home. It's part of the heightened charm of stuff like Riverdale or Pretty Little Liars, right? It's like they yeah, like, exist Riverdale in a realish knows. world, but they're also in the first two seasons. I think like yeah, like I think they tried to keep it within a realm of plausibility and it's the same with uh pretty little liars like pretty little liars is like in the realm of plausibility in the first few seasons and but the fact that they outfit change constantly that they're like totally made up every day even though they're being like literally traumatized constantly by a is just like you just sort of like that's the heightenedness it's like it's a heightened reality sure it sounds and like that... euphoria is even more like this but yeah, and that wouldn't bother me if they're, like, overly dressed up and a little too fancy. But, like, going it, it's it's when you're busting out the, like, shiny latex fucking corset top <laughs> and you're walking into school. No. No. <laughs> I, this this might adults? be a millennial versus Gen Z thing, too. Like, maybe we're maybe. just, like, Are we old? But I gotta be honest, I know Gen Zers and I ain't never see them walking around in, like, mm. fucking latex crop tops to school. Mm. Yeah. It's this is to the club, sure. Yeah, absolutely. You look hot. It's amazing. You want to walk? You want to go to the fucking mall in that outfit? Great. Love it. Live your best life. You look stunning. In what world is a teacher not going? You gotta go home. What's That's um... absolutely insane. Hmm. Never mind. I don't. I don't have it's, a question. It's the context <laughs> of the location. It's that's what bothers me. You're going out. You're going out to a party in that outfit. I believe that. I don't believe that you would be able to walk out the front door and your parents wouldn't be like, what the fuck? <laughs> Where is this school? <laughs> In Freedom Land. Absolutely wild. I mean, great. I guess these girls get to wear whatever they want, which is dope, but just super weird. Coming to school in basically like dominatrix lingerie, <laughs> which, as I said, the one girl is camming on Pornhub as a humiliation dominatrix. This is hilarious. 16 years old. Oh, boy. What? You couldn't have at least just given her an OnlyFans? At least that feels believable. <laughs> who's, who's going on Pornhub as a cam girl at 16? These are the questions. No sense. Anyway, moving on. That's Euphoria. It is worth watching, though. It's it's actually it's ridiculous and over the top, but it's very well written. And it's very well acted. I don't think I want to watch it, but I'm glad that you're enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm definitely going to watch I'm, it at I'm some uncomfortable. point. It's, it's like, I'm on a list of like, I have a list of like five or six shows where I'm like, 80% of the way there to watching it, but I've just had I know. I was the same with Euphoria. It just kept popping up on my For You page on TikTok, and I was finally like, I don't get these references. I need to watch this show. So I ended up watching uh, The Last Duel. With oh, God. My family, maybe? Yeah, my family. That's, why is there a question mark with Fuck family? Scott. <laughs> couldn't no, remember. I couldn't, I couldn't remember oh. who I watched it with. That's all. I truly, um, so I and like, I mean my this. my family watch it? I mean this from the depth of my heart. Fuck Ridley Scott <laughs> and his pretentious bullshit. Did you read the articles where he's just like blaming millennials for how badly yes. that yeah. movie that he put no marketing budget into did? Like he didn't market it at all. It wasn't marketed. That's why it did badly. Yeah. Well, and I think too, I think the movie... I, I'm struck even after thinking about it for a long time, I'm struggling to like characterize the movie. I think the movie is very competently made. It very much gets its message across and it's like a very good period drama. But I just don't think like it's one of those things where it feels out of time or something. Like it's like it feels like, is this the story that needs to be told at this time? Cause what it's about is that so there's an aspect of it that does feel of the time in the sense that 
It's a tale th- told three times. And this is in a way a spoiler in itself. Tale told three times by this. three different um, characters in the movie. And the third character, it's, it's about um, one of the characters, like the, the, the wife of the, <sighs> Matt Damon plays a, plays a knight and he has a, he gets you a wife. Me. And that's the sort of middle of the movie, Do, like a political marriage sort of thing. He get he gets his wife, and he's supposed to get a lot of land with it, but something weird, and he get he doesn't get the main piece of land that he was supposed to get. That's worth a ton of money, and that's because in part of Adam Driver's character. So Adam Driver's character is kind of like his friend slash rival, and there's this whole behind the scenes stuff you're seeing that you're not seeing why Adam Driver's character is acting so hot and cold. And so weird. And they're the ones who get into the last duel together. Like, it's shown right at the beginning that they're going to be in a duel at the very um thing. And it's called the last duel for a very confusing reason. This was a law that allowed, like, under God's light, sort of to decide who's the right person in a trial. A trial to the death. Like, a jousting competition to the death. Mm. And so that's the last duel. It's not the type of duel that was then became popular in the, like, 17th, 18th century where people shot each other. That's, like, a totally different thing. So it is the official last duel of this type, I guess. And it's based on a real story. So he, Matt Damon's character, has his wife over. And then her story about the the rape that turns out to be the central point of the story is last. And firstly, and this is this is what really annoyed all of us, um, me and my family, is the center piecing of the, of the rape in the story. Because you're seeing it from multiple perspectives, that means you have to see the same rape over yeah, and over again I heard about this. in the movie. In like diff- you see like different versions of the same yeah. assault, like violent assault, multiple times in this movie. Yeah, yeah. very uh, and like so, just a weird choice, dude. That's and that's the thing. It's like I just don't think that it's this the right time. Even though the third story is about her version of it and trying to teach you that like her version is that no, it was really bad and th- this person deserves to die for it. Even though she was falling in love with him in it so the rape wasn't just like some random dude he she's falling in love with the very charming i'm spoiling the entire movie but the very charming adam driver's character and her husband matt damon's character is actually not very charming at all and it's kind of not an asshole but like a very neglectful husband the classic old english tale husband yeah so the it's it's trying to teach in a way a modern point but from a very strange perspective. And so the the bizarreness of the layers in this movie is just like not, I don't know. It just doesn't feel right for a modern day story to be t- told. And I mean, that's the thing. Ridley Scott's pretty old now and he's still telling stories. And I just don't think he's, he's on the pulse anymore. He's not with it anymore. Are you telling me that Prometheus yeah. wasn't an alien prequel? Oh. <laughs> That that was a movie. Write a dissertation on how much I hate that fucking movie. I like. Same with Alien Covenant. I like the part that Michael Fassbender is a robot. Yeah, that feels true to life. (laughs) Michael Fassbender playing himself. Just full sociopath. (laughs) I. So, um. Joseph, watching the last duel does uh, like is there catharsis? Like, is is the duel supposed to be like the the release, the culmination of of all the events, kind of paying out, or is it? And does it feel like it actually? 
is justice it's meted ex- out? Like, like, here's the thing. It's an extremely well-constructed story. Like, if we weren't talking about the messaging, the movie itself is fascinating. Like, it is so well-constructed, seeing things from different angles, and then how things play out. Each character gets a really interesting development. Twists and turns are very well i never was able to call a twist Mm. in the movie like i would keep saying like i know this is the next plot point and this is what i think is going to happen and i was never right and i and so from that perspective it's a very well constructed thought like interesting to watch. yeah that's pretty cool it's just when you actually are left with it all you're like this is a gross story to be told oh that that, yeah that makes sense yeah i don't know uh does ridley scott expect that to be like to be the thing that I don't think it should be popular at all. I'm I, I'm not surprised at no, all. Ridley really Scott just expects because of his like fucking filmography that everybody's gonna suck his dick when he brings out a new movie. Yeah, like like, like part of me is wondering Marketing like exists. like do you expect this to do well in theaters? Is the thing right? Like like the thing that that we're mm-hmm. seeing. He did. He did. I, I just mean like how could anyone reasonably it to expect be, like, that? Super popular because like because like modern modern TV like movie fair is like predominantly just popcorn munchers, right? Like. I know, but he's also one of the directors, along with who is the other one? Uh, Verhoeven, who shits all over fucking Marvel oh. movies and stuff, and like says, and Scorsese, and says it's like the death of real cinema. <laughs> all the old guard are just shitting on like what's new and popular, and I don't even necessarily disagree that like popcorn flicks are good objective movies. They're usually just passably entertaining. Some of them are decent, but like. Just to get on your high horse and then immediately release a like passable movie that you refuse to do any marketing and then blame the generation of mindless drones for why it didn't do well. It's like, you know, you have to tell people you have a movie coming out for them to actually (laughs) give a shit. Nobody's nobody's fucking reading Variety magazine anymore. You old bitch. I'm not on your Twitter. Put a trailer out on your Twitter, old man. No, he's not on his Twitter. He's like 89 an old he's just a fucking old weirdo because <laughs> like That's he also he directed like two movies at his age like in yeah the and movie. he also like well he brought out house of gucci which did have a huge marketing campaign so of course it did really well in theaters um but the family like the actual gucci family complained about how pacino portrayed like their father or whatever they were like he this is not this is an insane performance he was a normal person like, some crazy shit happened, but, like, this is fucking nuts. And same with Jared Leto's character, who they made look so disgusting. Like, they made him so ugly. And this was, Ooh, like... I gotta go look at An objectively, like, decent-looking man. Like, he just, like, looked pretty, like, medium, normal, attractive. That's a weird thing with Leto. Leto loves looking ridiculous in movies, even though he's yeah, so gorgeous. Yeah, they just gorgeous. made him like, look so fucked up. The family complained about the portrayal, and... Ridley Scott's reaction in the press was just like, you should be so fucking lucky to get Pacino to portray. How fucking dare you question my artistic integrity? And it's like, what's wrong with you? <coughs> like, are, like, what's happening in your brain? I feel like you're doddering at this point, old man, and you shouldn't be allowed to interact with society on your own. You need a handler because you're incapable of being fucking rational about things. How is Pacino still alive? Oh my god, it's got to be really Scott still alive. Yeah, he's not. They're all just like basically blending themselves with like cocaine to keep their hearts going or something. It's fucking nuts that they're all still alive. <laughs> oh, those ghouls. 
And same with Aronofsky. I could not stand Aronofsky and his like bullshit mm. pseudo intellectualism that he pulls all the time. Even though I've loved Ridley Scott and Aronofsky movies, like I really have, they're both just so fucking holier than thou and insufferable now. And they're just churning out hot garbage, like objectively mediocre films and then expecting to get praise for it and throwing fucking toddler sized tantrums in the press when they don't. They suck. Des, did you want to jump in with another before we head to our favorite movie? I think we should get right to the business. <sighs> Risky business. So it was it was your uh, it was your pick then. Yeah. So this is so what uh, what prompted this. So movie. we watched we watched Hunter Hunter. Uh, it's a movie that that Lydia and I had both had on our lists for quite some time. Some time. Excuse me. And a week after uh, week, you know, recording after recording, we kept pushing it back further and further uh, in favor of other movies. But today, I was like, we should pull the trigger. Like we should finally get this off the list. Um, I'd, I'd seen. A lot of like you know uh kind of horror like um journal kind of like websites a lot of people were talking about it uh it got uh, surprisingly positive reviews <laughs> and it's accessible it's on 96 percent on rotten tomatoes yeah. 94 but yeah um and it's an it's accessible it's on netflix and uh i i couldn't have picked a worse movie uh what a dog shit movie <laughs> In- <laughs> In fairness, we both picked it. Yeah. So I'll take I'll shoulder some of the blame on that one. That's okay. I can I can eat it. Uh, <laughs> and it was it was funny too because I was one of the I was always like skeptical of it, but not like the reason I was skeptical of it was not what ended up being bad about the movie yeah. at all. Like I was I I found some of the acting that I saw in the trailer a little like too indie too sketch for me but like that was like just a couple scenes in the movie. The rest of the movie it's like the, all the acting's at least passable. Like I'm not gonna say yeah, it's great, it's but bad. like I was like. I was in it like I didn't yeah. I wasn't seeing like wooden performances I just it's just I think this is going to be most of our problems but the main plot and pacing and structure is kind of nonsense the pacing it's is like... really bad the pacing is weirdly bad it's crazy to, slow to even call it pacing like, is to be generous strangest way to call it pacing is generous it's like it... thing happens and then nothing happens for like 30 mm-hmm. minutes and then another tiny thing happens. it's so weird and then you get to the end to the last like literal 15 minutes of the movie and everything happens all at once and you're just like none of this was satisfying i think and this i, I don't want to say if this is a spoiler or not but it's like we all didn't think it was a spoiler so like fair enough it's it's in trailers and stuff like that but it's like the thing that people praised in reviews was like so the premise is that it's like this family out in the woods and there's this wolf that has been eating their trapped food, mm-hmm. right? And so they're they're losing food and they're they're extra scared of this wolf. They're like, this wolf is causing us real problems. Like the mom and the dad are like, they had to get the kid out of the room. and they, like, they have history with this wolf. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but we know, like we just know based on the premise and the trailer, it's like they go and hunt this thing and it turns out there's a serial killer. Like that's just the premise of the movie basically. But they, the movie acts like that, that is the big thing. Like there is nothing once you like the big thing you see in the movie is when you find out there's someone out there. And then that's what you're saying, Lydia. And then it's like 30 minutes after finding that out of just like more setup. We already went through a massively long act one. Like all this movie is a setup. The thing that would have made it cool is if they thought that the wolf they had history with had returned and was like, 
eating the food, like stealing the food from their traps. But then it turned out it was just this crazy guy living in the woods, murdering people and then stealing their food to eat it and like stalking them and planning to like that would have been like a cool twist. It's like there never was a wolf. It was just the danger of man. But there is a wolf. There's also they're also navigating this wolf, which is apparently the same wolf that they like were attacked by. How do they know it's the same wolf? And that's the thing. Did they even do we even get an idea of like what the hell the backstory was in the end? Like, no, no, just that the wolf is bad. They mentioned that they had another kid and that storyline is never resolved. No, I guess that's like a subtle indie movie thing. But like. I've seen a lot of indie movies at this point, no. and it's like, it just did not work I, here I, at all. We got halfway through the movie and just decided that the wolf must have kissed, killed their other kid. Yeah. And, like, yeah. that's what it was. But it's never, like, it's not even it's, a read a between non-point. the lines thing. It's a non-point for the whole plot. It's just... It's, the whole movie is, Yeah, and also, like, no one in the town knows that they had another kid. I know. It's so bizarre. Did you know city folk carry identification? It's like, what? What are we doing here? Like, what is Yeah, this? are they supposed to be, like, sovereign citizens? Like, they're so far off the grid that nobody even gives a shit that this child isn't being educated? That's what it seems to be implying. But it just, it's so poorly constructed yeah. to let you understand things. In what world could you keep a 12-year-old child out in the woods, still interact with society, and have not a single authority figure be like, we should probably call CPS. Like you can't, you can't not educate your child. It's literally against the law. Yeah, Th- this whole movie, like, like that's that's like federally regulated. The, shit. the whole movie's wrapped up in trying to sell attention that it also doesn't want to show. So the first fifteen minutes of the movie, it's setting up that the family's isolated. They live off the grid. They trap their food and sell the, the pelts to to sustain themselves. Uh, yeah. They homeschool their kid. And the father is... No, they don't. No, no, no. They, sorry, they don't. The father is unwilling to give his family the tools to survive and insists on shouldering the burden of it while also stranding them out there and not giving his family a yeah. chance to be anywhere else. He go- and then... He goes to hunt this wolf. He goes to hunt this wolf and, like, just leaves yeah. them knowing that they have no food. Yeah, and so, like, so his family's starving right off the bat. And the threat of this wolf is apparently so high... He must completely remove himself from the scenario. So 15 minutes of the movie, we set up that the family is doomed from the start. 15 minutes goes by, the father disappears and isn't seen again for the rest of the movie. And the whole movie, it's supposed to be building up this... 30 minutes. Yeah, it's supposed to be building up this tension that, like, there's going to be a killer, there's going to be a wolf, there's going to be some kind of danger. None of it comes or happens until the last five minutes of the movie, in which, at which point they're like, there's a killer, he has no motive, we've never seen him kill anything, and now we're going to open him up like an animal. And it's like, this this movie for me, like, yeah. it fucking revels in, like, thoughtless violence for the sake of, I guess, retribution? But, the, but like... I, I can't see any any audience other than like a gun loving nightmare crowd loving this kind of movie. But I, no, because you can't say it'd be a gun because it's not explosions and shit. No, no. When I say when I say gun loving, I mean like, like it's like I mean like I need guns to protect violence. myself from the world because I'm a terrified mm. puppy. Like it, it's it, yeah. it reads to me like like this weird survivor man bullshit fantasy, and then at some point it decides no, you know what would really be scary. A killer who 
we have never seen before. Mm-hmm. And he just pops into the movie, yeah. does nothing violent, and then is just like implicated. Well, on screen. Yeah, yeah. And then is just immediately, they, they assume he's bad, and then they kill him. And that's the, the fun finale. <laughs> like the whole payoff I... was, was like, like, we duped you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I do think the violence was unearned yeah but i i i wouldn't say it it doesn't feel to me like one of those films that like revels in gratuitous or graphic violence because it is a very short period of time and there is very minimal like graphic stuff that happens it's literally just like one five minute scene that's very graphic but like we're talking about a hundred and like or an hour and a half movie and there's one very yeah. graphic scene. Like, I, I, I just can't get my head around you calling it, like, a film that revels in I, gratuitous violence firmly, when there are things like The Last House on the Left and Eden Lake, which are very similar premises that very clearly are reveling in a specific type of gratuitous violence that I think this film touches on but doesn't really the, the reason into. The reason I, the, I, I do disagree. The reason I do is because in place of both a plot, catharsis, an ending... And any kind of resolution to the plot, the violence is the resolution. And and also, like, it's pretty fucking gratuitous. She flays someone alive. Yeah, but I mean, you can say the same about... And then leaves him, like, alive and bleeding. Yes, I agree. I agree with you. It is very gratuitous. I I do think it's gross. But I I just can't, in my mind, put it in the same category as, like, Saw or I Spit on Your Grave, which is what you're doing here. I, I do um, think it's gratuitous. I do think it's unearned violence. I don't think it's the type of film that most people associate with, like, a film that revels in graphic violence. This is a Saw movie to me. The point of the film is graphic violence. This this is on it's par with a Saw movie. It's five minutes. It's five minutes of a 96-minute film. Uh, in, like, I just I can't put it on the same level. I can't comprehend the, the point that. I'm trying I do to make, think it's gratuitous. The point I'm trying to make is that there isn't any movie within that 90 minutes outside of the first 15 and the last five. So in, in truth, like, yeah, it's 90 minutes, but like of it, of that 90, I'd say maybe 30 was film because the middle point doesn't establish any kind of plot. It doesn't it doesn't further any kind of plot. It doesn't build any characters. It doesn't even build on the world. Like the, the struggle of the family is untouched past the first 15 minutes when they determine that the wife wants to give the kid a better chance. And then the middle whole ha- the middle whole section of the movie is like it follows the the uh, the wife and the daughter unable to feed themselves for a time and then learning to do so and then the police finding the dead husband and that's that's like a full that's like almost a full 60 minutes of dead air i don't even think the police find him they, they just do. find the like body farm uh, they find the body farm they don't know they're looking for him but he's presumably there um who, which no, person? she found the husband. She found the hu- the husband's in their forest, not at the body. Yeah, he's farm. by there. He's by the cabin. Oh, you're right, because the killer man brought him they there. Found the, assumably, they found the police yeah. officer. Yeah, presumably, yeah. Yeah, it's it's so strange. I just I feel like mm-hmm. in place of a movie, they just had like one scene, which was the ending that they really wanted to get to, and so they're like, oh, I I would mostly agree with that. Yeah, and that's why I mean that's what I mean when I when I call I it like the a end scene for sure. I did too. Yeah. I thought it was disgusting. I I think I think there were things that they were trying to do in this movie that a they didn't have budget for, they didn't have time for. Like I think it it could yeah. have been an interesting character study, um, but like for whatever reason they cut this thing down to like ninety minutes, 
and made yeah. it all like just like scene movement um and like implication and no actual like real character development or or strong like yeah. plot movement like plot moments and i think that is its detriment and for whatever reason they moved the climax to like the very end mm -hmm. of the film it was very strange layout i think honestly they're probably their biggest mistake in a way was the cop storyline oh, i God. feel like that took up a lot of time and wasn't relevant like no. it's also really super weird it. that there's literally only two cops <laughs> and they're both so i know it's a small idiots. town yeah um and it's also strange that this is supposed to take place over what seemed like three days <laughs> <laughs> yeah it shows like, like that that's like a really quick turnaround <laughs> my biggest gripe was the even the character study and even if it's all those things the speed at which they became starving and like yeah. we're making taking huge yeah. risks that they should not have needed to take it just takes me out of any sense of this being a real, yeah, like, I mean, I, I would want to feel the tension of their circumstances, and I just don't, because it feels like a joke. You're telling me that this family that lives in the woods, they do have a garden, but the se they've mentioned that the season turns, it's getting close to winter, so mm -hmm. obviously the garden is not very fruitful right now. But this family living out in the wilderness that hunts and gardens and grows their own vegetables is not making preserves? They're not canning? <laughs> I forgot about that. They're not making that. like jams they don't have and a syrups. Smokehouse. They're not. They're not pickling anything. They're not salting their meat. They're not drying out. They're food. just like. They're eating meat every day. They're just eating their entire yield every day <laughs> and like not preserve. That that makes no fucking yeah. sense. They're eating raw meat every single day and they don't have any yeah, like anything they, stored. They presumably been living out in the wilderness since before this thirteen year old was born. And and at no point did she go, jams might be helpful to have in the winter. <laughs> fucking insane. This is like some into the wild level they were talking, bullshit. Well, this is another thing, too, that they, which I'm reading right now, that book, actually. But um, fucking hate that guy's story. It makes me so mad. Oh, really? I, I the, yeah. the book itself is incredibly beautifully written. It's really cool. I, it's just annoying that, like, at least in the movie, he does very little research before he goes out into the Alaskan wilderness and, like, dies because he eats, like, a poison berry or something. And it's like, if you're gonna, if you're gonna, like, abandon society and try to make it on your own, like, bring a fucking book of, like, wild vegetables and herbs that are safe. He, oh he did. God. That's actually one of the only books he did have. He, that actually oh is the one thing and he yet. was prepared for. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a lot of magical thinking about how they how they even manage to survive out there. Yeah, because like, it's just weird they don't have a storeroom. Well, they they only have one income source, which is pelts. It's like, are you telling me? <laughs> yeah, like you're it's sixteen seventy five. Yeah, yeah, like this is can like the settling of Canada with the Hudson yeah. Bay Company. Like, <laughs> like there's so much magical thinking just to make sure this family is absolutely I think this isolated. This is what like Americans think Canadians are like, or something. That's. <laughs> yeah, that's kind. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Is like th this. This is a movie for people who like they meme about like the masculine urge to give up life and go live in the woods, but they're so fucking dysfunctional they'd get out there and not survive their first spring, let alone their first winter. Yeah, that's it's what like, I'm saying. Like you've got a nice ass cabin. You're telling me it doesn't have a cold store hole in the ground, as if a cabin that old looking doesn't have a cold storage under a hatch in the crawl space under that that's bullshit yeah. that is absolute horse shit because even my old ass schoolhouse that i grew up in that was built in the 1800s had a fucking cold store room oh yeah 
that's absolute garbage. And like not a single person thought like we should if the the aboriginal people, if if like the Inuit people, if First Nations people are preserving shit, they're making like jerkies, they're salting meats, they're making preserves. We don't need to do that. We just eat our entire yield in a day and start from fucking scratch the next day. If it rots, fuck. I guess we're out of food and we starve to death. That's part of like my, my issue with the magical thinking of this movie. Because like you have to excuse a lot of magical thinking in, in these kind of movies. Because like suspension of disbelief, you know, it's, it's why you don't say, these people, you would have just turned around and shot the bad guy. Why wouldn't you just do that? And this movie tries so hard to sell the realism of it that it forgets that it needs to convince you that it's that these people have lived out here at all. Also, I gotta believe, like, people who've been living out in the woods for, like, 20-odd years, they're gonna shoot the guy if they think that he killed, like, They're gonna shoot the guy. They're not gonna, like, waffle about it, you know? You're gonna shoot the the guy. what, what, What hangs me up is, like, at the end of the movie, the wife's descent into this retributive justice mania or like madness she's fallen into it's it it takes place over the course of yeah like a less than 10 minute scene yeah it is and it builds it's a quick and it builds from nothing it builds from zero to a hundred instantly and the extent to which she she commits violence is more heinous than anything you see in the movie that is true it is bad it's so strange like i said it's like it's like they really had this idea that they wanted to get and that's to. What I'm saying. That's what I'm saying about the pacing is so weird. Like they put the climax of the film also at the end of the film. And it's like, if you had a drawn out the parts that lead her to this, it might've at least felt understandable, if not over the top and super graphic. Cause like, okay, her husband is killed. That's one. She is mm-hmm. assaulted and almost sexually assaulted. And then you see her open the door to where her daughter is. Presumably her daughter has been murdered in a very heinous way, but you don't actually see the kid. You just see her reaction and her reaction is like very intense. If that had happened, like if it had been like a psychological buildup, like they do in funny games, for instance, or even last house on the left where it's like this buildup of like trauma after trauma and it's psychological and it's super manipulative. And finally the character just snaps and is like, I need to like fucking I'm gonna die and it's it's this or nothing then it's like okay this is a lot and it's gross and it's awful but it's sort of satisfying in a way and you're like this makes sense it's earned none of this was it was just like all of this happens in 15 minutes and then for the last like not even 10 minutes super graphic violence and then she just like sits on the porch and then the movie ends and you're like yeah. well you you could have cut a lot of the middle it's, it's, and pulled it's this bleak out. for for a lot of reasons yeah well that's the thing I, it is bleak but here's it's optimistic in or revengeful optimistic in like a way that i really don't like in horror movies where it's like because yeah, i'm the not premise, a fan of like rape revenge shit yeah. either the premise is already like from the beginning right it's a family of hunters like independent rugged individualism right and it's about there being like the possible like a manhunt to happen like a you know mano a mano sort of thing gonna happen and yes it ends up with the wife doing it instead which i don't know i guess like a modern twist on thing but it really felt like it was trying to do this like the guy is gonna go and fight the thing and so there's twists in that sense that it changes it up and we've spoiled every single thing about the movie at, at this point by the way it's not worth watching yeah but 
yeah, I just, I don't like that fantasy. And I think in the reviews, that's what it seemed to be. So many people were like, oh, you know, once they figured out it's not just the wolf hurting their family. It's this, it's men. It's other people, you know, it's it's this horrible person. I'm like, I get what it's trying to do. I'm just not interested in that fantasy yeah. and being like the type of person who lives out in the woods and is ready when their bad things happen that I can kill for yeah. my family. Like, I just don't. And so for people who are interested in that, I that's probably why it works. I'm just not. Yeah, and for those people, it seems like the right movie because it's just like I've been wronged, so I get to do anything to the person who wronged me, and it's like it's the dumbest kind of caveman retributive violence of just like I also just like it, it just revels in it. That earlier in the film, you see the mom, and she can't like so yeah. her dad was a hunter. She comes from this lifestyle of being like a yeah. rugged hunter family she's been living with her husband for like 15 years let's assume out in the wilderness doing this thing you see her with the daughter trying to like skin and like gut this animal that they catch Mm -hmm. and they can't figure out how to do it properly in a way that doesn't spoil the meat but then you get to the end of the movie and she's like filleting like flaying this guy like removing his skin like a fucking expert yeah. yeah, like this I, I don't. Movie is so all over the place. With where that did stuff. she learn this skill that she presumably should have known since childhood, but somewhere in the middle lost and then immediately gained back? I, I think it's supposed to like. I this is terrible. But I, I think it's supposed to represent like innocence, like when they're more innocent, the characters are more innocent. They don't know how to do these things, but then her turn into darkness means that now she has. She's just a yeah, skilled. But you can't killer. do it as like an immediate switch. Like you have to like. I know. Build no, it. it doesn't make any sense. But I'm saying it's thematically why the movie did it that way but i it's a stupid choice i think i still wouldn't like the movie but i do think a lot of it comes down to like really shockingly it, it, it bad pacing. Of, of the rabbit too that you were saying right she she comes across a rabbit in a trap and they need yeah. food and she's like she's weeping after she kills the rabbit it's like you she's kill, weeping like, before she even kills it a day like what are you talking about yeah like you were bringing these pelts into the into the town to trade for supplies so you're like Walking around with dead animal fur all the time. I don't... How how are you upset about killing the... The rabbit is a great food source, to be honest. And that was a huge fucking yeah. rabbit. It was an enormous rabbit. I also don't think yeah. that was an actual think, wild rabbit. I think they went to a pet store and got like a... That, that looked like a pet rabbit. It yeah. did. That's it, a big Because boy. it was so big. It looked like one of those like... Enormous. Like those... um like Finland giants like a, or whatever that you can get. It was yeah, like fucking a posh huge. rabbit. It was huge. Like, they took someone's pet rabbit and killed it. That was like a 20 pound pet. Like that was one of those like Highland, like giant rabbits that you can get as pets. It's fucking yeah. enormous. I think the thing that like worries me the most about this kind of movie is like, I didn't read any critical reception of this really until afterwards. Mm-hmm. And one of the few reviews that I saw that was negative about it was criticizing the violence against animals in it. Oh my! And I was God. thinking, like I was the like, least bad part of this. <laughs> I was, I was going to say that there is no, there is no point where they actually show on-screen violence against an animal. All of it is done well, off-screen. No, they, she literally no, you rip, see the deer kills, and and the rabbit she twists its head off. But they do that off-screen. They do do that off-screen. Yeah, yeah. You see her hand around its neck. The actual snap is off-screen. But with the deer, you see her hang it upside down and you see them cut it open. It's already dead. Oh, true. Yeah, the deer. I forgot about the deer. Um, but regardless, but, um, but, like, yeah. they're, they're hunters.
hunters living in the like they're not just yeah. torturing but, animals for funsies. But they're also, just getting but, food. But they also just they do that to a human. Yeah, and that isn't worrisome. Like, like I'm, I'm willing to write this movie off for for a few reasons, and like the ending is the biggest. But like, I mean, the ending is really man, gross. Pe- people really be drinking lead water out there if they think that the violence against the animals was like worrisome. <laughs> also, I like, I think I would feel maybe differently about that if the violence against animals was like animal torture that they were showing on screen. Like, if this was yeah. like a cannibal holocaust situation, obviously I would have a different take. But like. This is well established that this is sort of like a family living a frontiers land kind of lifestyle, surviving off food that they hunt. Hunting is like a pretty normal, acceptable pastime in North America. And they're not gratuitous about it. They literally are just like fairly humanely only killing animals for food as needed and using every bit of the animal that they get. Either for like future mm-hmm. hunting, for like selling pelts, for clothing, and for food. So like this seems like a weird issue to have when it's like yeah, no, that pretty much the best version of, of that. that. Yeah, exactly. This is like the best. Therefore, version the movie of deserves a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> Which one? Sorry. If this was the bad review, right? Then then and we're saying it's not a problem, then it deserves a hundred on Rotten Tomatoes. Definitely a hundred percent. This is definitely a Again, I do movie. think that this is like a lot of reviews of people being like, it's passable. Because that's Rotten Tomatoes, right? Like it's just an aggregate of like reviews. So if most of the words in the review are like in a positive sounding way, it'll assume it's a fresh review. Mm-hmm. So I, I truly think that this 94% is based on, like, people being like, it's fine, not it's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did have much lower other other kinds of scores. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The IMDb score is, like, 6.8 or something out of 10. That's way too high. Which, which fair enough. That's your, like, <laughs> that's your opinion. But again, like, this is, you're going to get a lot of people, like, IMDb has a lot of, like, fairly toxic white men who love this type of shit. So it's not that surprising that it gets like a 6.8. The audience score for Rotten Tomatoes is 64%. Again, it's an aggregate. I think a lot like it's probably a little bit lower if you actually read into what those like audience reviews were. Uh Like I think if you actually were to dig into it, it's probably sitting around the 50% mark, which feels accurate when you look at it like sort of on a global scale. 50% is probably Mm. where it should be. 50 seems, yeah. If you're going across the board for all types of people, 50% seems relatively reasonable. Seems seems about right. Yeah. It's not good, but some people will like it. That's yeah. that's about it. This is this is for me like this is a, a movie from the nightmare future. Yeah. Like for me this is like this is a movie of like this if if I were to get on my Scorsese a horse for a moment i'd say like this is the type of movie we we don't need more of uh <laughs> not not like i'm some kind of puritanical asshole i just like we gotta stop paying i guess no one paid for to see this movie so that's perfect we gotta stop paying people yeah, to I make mean, shit like, like this let's be honest here <laughs> the box office earnings globally for this thing was 32 yeah. grand you know it's it's hitting a niche fucking market and there's not a lot of people paying to watch it so it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. It's super weird that it got as much press as it did when it first came out. Like it was all over fucking like Dread Central and Bloody Disgusting and 
Like people loved it. Mm-hmm. People were talking about it. Yeah, this was everywhere. I think I th- I do truly think a big part of it was because of the two main actors who were like huge in the '90s and 2000s. It stars Devin Sawa, who a lot of people will know from Final Destination and Idle Hands, maybe SLC Punk, and then also Nick Stahl, who was in the terrible one of the terrible Terminator movies as John Connor. Um, but he was also in Carnival. Oh, yeah, he was. Yeah. He was also in Carnival, which was a fantastic HBO show from like the early mid 2000s uh, that I highly recommend everybody watches because the fourth season of American Horror Story Freak Show pretty much just rips off the entire concept of that series. It was phenomenally well done. And then, you know, like Devin Sawa's career completely diminished after the early 2000s. He disappeared for a while. And Nick Stahl got heavy into drugs and literally disappeared for like two years, was declared a missing person and then popped up in a movie to everyone's surprise. <laughs> oh, that was the killer man. That was yeah. Lou. Yeah. Oh my God. Um. So like just it's, it's, it's super weird and interesting casting in this like super crazy indie movie to have like these two nineties, two thousands heartthrobs that kind of just disappeared for a while, getting their careers back in like this, very niche genre um and they've both been in a few like indie horror films in the last couple of years and they've been sort of regaining popularity which great good for them i'm happy for them they're both like passably decent actors they just make like shitty choices devon sawa was also in that movie with um oh god what's his fucking name pulp fiction greece give me the guy john John travolta Travolta. neither of you helped me i just did john travolta I said it before you. <laughs> On my yeah. screen, I said it he was, before you. He was in. Okay. Uh, he was in. He was in. Uh, Devin Sawa was in that terrible movie from like Fred, like by Fred Durst, um, with John oh, no, Travolta. Don't, no. <laughs> about the stalker, uh, the fan, or something yeah, like that. About the, the like fan? disabled stalker. Not, not the fan. What is it? It's like the. Um... Fuck. I think it, it's. I thought oh, it was the that, fan, or like the super fan, or like um, number one fan, something like that. The, it's it's not the fan because that's a 1996 movie uh, with Wesley Snipes and oh, uh, right. Robert De Niro. You're right. My God, that it's something like shit. that. Something stupid. Uh, Fred Durst movie. It's a fucking terrible movie, but Devin Sawa is in it as like a uh, over the hill action star who's being stalked by a disabled super fan. It's. It's called the fanatic. The fanatic, um, and he. Yeah. It's it's truly, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, <laughs> deeply offensive to mm. like very ableist <laughs> to. Uh, it's it's yeah to the to the disabled community. It's it's like super it, fucked up. It escapes description. Yeah, it's <laughs> that it's, one. If anything, it it comes off like deeply, deeply anti-autistic. <laughs> In a it's, very troubling way. I will rewatch Robert Downey Jr. playing a black man before I rewatch <laughs> the finale. Yeah, at least that felt like some kind of they were trying to do satire. They knew, at least. They knew that they were telling a joke. Yeah, like yeah. it. It felt. It didn't feel like punching down. Like this. This yeah. feels like Fred Durst hates like disabled people. Either that or John Travolta does, which is. Or both, which you know. I guess he's a Scientologist. So oh who yeah, knows apparently what he's, he's like not super. Apparently he was like really into that for his wife, and she's dead now, so he's like not involved anymore. He he looks like Scientology. Yeah, I like, think he he's looks like, like not. A, he looks like a wax mummy. He does. I think he's he looks, just had like a lot of plastic surgery. You know, like I think he he's like just a, a vain figure. old bitch. 
<laughs> that's my favorite thing you say. Old bitch. Vain old bitch. Because because that's yeah. <laughs> no, that's all I have to say. That's my favorite thing you say. Um, I love that. <laughs> but I I kind of think he is. I think that's it. I think that's the only reason he like looks like that. Which fine, you know. I am too. I'm bathing my forehead in Botox. No judgment. Do what you want to do. But he does look a little, like, <laughs> fucked up. But anyway, this is a shitty movie. Yeah. You don't even get hot Devon Sawa. You just get, like, gross Devon Sawa, and then he's dead. Mm. So, like, that's a bummer for anybody who's into that actor in the 90s and 2000s. And it's mostly pretty shitty. Uh, there's some really gross effects in it that, like, if you're into practical effects, are impressive in a way that is, like, very upsetting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's about we it. We had a lot to say about this, surprisingly. Oh, yeah. If you, yeah. If you really hate something, it's often you often have a lot to say about it. <laughs> yeah. And then we tangented, which is fine. I'm okay with that. Yeah, that's cool. Overall, friends, are we going to re- recommend this movie? No. No. no probably not. Hard no. No, this was shit. <laughs> no, like, if you like that kind I'm of sorry. torture porn I'm sorry shit, to subject like, you. There, there are better options. Not that I really want to recommend that subgenre, but, like, Eden Lake is probably yeah. more your speed than this shitty-ass movie. Just just rewatch any Saw movie instead. If yeah, you but want, that's like, if you want minute to minute, sure. But like that's like porn. hokey. That's like hokey gore porn. But like, if yeah. you want, if you want like trauma porn, which some people do, um, but you don't want to be like that pretentious film bro asshole who's like super toxic and only recommends a Serbian film. Eden Lake is your film oh, choice. God. Eden Lake's the one you yeah. want. Go watch that. Don't watch this. It's, it's also terrible, um, and I hate it, but, you know, if you're into that kind of thing, you'll like it better than this piece of shit. Mm-hmm. It's better acting, too. All right. So, you can find us at FansLabPod at, on Twitter and on other social media if you want to tell us about any movie recommendations or what you thought about any of our episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Don't don't make us watch something like this anymore. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't like please. it, please. <laughs> please don't. All right. All right. We'll goodbye. See you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>